much horror business driving late at night. Psycho 78. Twelve o'clock. Don't be late. I said all this horror business. My mirrors are black for you. Oh, there goes our Starbucks sponsor. If I was Werner Herzog, I'd say that's what the knife is. The sweetness of the peach at the front and the back is the cat piss. Greetings and salutations. My name is Justin Lore. <laughs> I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to another star-struck and beautiful episode of Haw Business. Haw Business, the show for the beautiful for the beautiful people. people. We don't want the ugly people. We want no. the beautiful people. No uggos. We say that a yes, lot. Yes, get away from us. We've already made seven shirts that say no mm, uggos. Seven. And we've not let anyone wear them because we haven't found anyone beautiful enough yet to wear them. <laughs> Only tens. Only tens. So, uh, yeah. So why were we? Why were we, the reason we we're being vain and beautiful is that this week's or this episode is about two films involving Tinseltown, the dark side of Hollywood. Also, because we are beautiful and fabulous. we are beautiful and fabulous, and we are there. Num- there is no number big enough to describe how beautiful I am on the inside, and Liam is all around. I mean, if you focus on the hair that grows on the bottom of my butt, then mm. you might not think it. But if you focus just mm. on my eyebrows... There's a final touch added by the Lord Jesus Christ to make you perfect. <laughs> so we are going to be talking about 2014's Starry Eyes and 2016's The Neon Demon. It's interesting because, I, as you know, I tend to prefer um, episodes where we do at least one older movie, like Mm -hmm. something like kind of like from back in the day. But I think this is one of your more inspired double features. Yes. Um, in that these movies really, in case you guys didn't know, this is, this is Justin Lore's ship. This is his, this, he is the captain. This is my ship. He is the captain. I am the Ahab to Liam's stub. Yeah, I was gonna say you could think of me as the Starbuck. You could think of me as the first mate, but that's too much authority. In reality, you're merely Ishmael or Queequeg at best. Oh man, or one of those other harpooners with horribly offensive names. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Who's the brownest, least respected character? That's me. Well, they were all terrified of Queequeg, but I think they like respected him because his harpooning skills were, you know, paralleled by none. So we'll go with this. Is not a Moby Dick podcast. We are not. We are not literary geniuses. I read the Great Illustrated Classics of Moby Dick when I was a kid, and didn't even realize until the end that everybody died because they kind of omit that in there. I was like, "Oh, that's weird. They're probably still out there floating around." Ishmael should go out and find his friends. If <laughs> Ishmael should go out and find his friends is something that no one has ever said at the end of Moby Dick. No, no. Actually, it's funny when I read that book in high school. I was like, "Oh, this is a lot darker and crazier than the book was that I remember it." Well, yeah, you read the illustrated. Yeah. Yeah, I read the illustrated of the uh, of the cask of of uh, Amontillado. Yeah, yeah, that's the it's it's like they had never even read the original. Yeah, uh. and then he sternly rebuked his friend and said, "Get out of that room! I'm not going to wall you up. Come upstairs. Let's have some more Amontillado." <laughs> um, hey, so. So I think this is a good the for your choosing as and it's, our it's, curator. It's appropriate because tomorrow I'm going to Los Angeles for a long weekend. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we should have just gone with Escape from L.A., but I think that's fair. Awesome. Yes, but then I didn't, you know, I didn't want to not go to Los Angeles because then I would not want to go there after watching that movie because it's horrible. <laughs> 
It's a blight. It's a blight on filmmaking. It's a sin against cinema. Hey, what up? Uh, before um, we get into these two um, starstruck films mm. that we watched, these two meditations on uh, beauty, vanity, and desire. Yes. Two things. First, this episode of Hard Business is brought to you, as always, friends, as always, by our good friends at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creationes. Let Chris Reject and his merry band of miscreants bring your vision to life. Whether it be a t-shirt, a hoodie, a hat, a koozie, or underwear, they will help you realize your promotional vision. His staff is professional, creative, and fun. If nothing else, they are professional, creative, and fun. And talented. So talented. Look, you want a shirt. Who doesn't want some fucking shirts? I own several shirts. To promote their shit. Yes. You got a, t- you got a baseball team? You got a, a, a rock and roll band? Do you actually have a Herman Melville-themed podcast? Yeah. Maybe you're sitting here going, I hate hard business because they're fucking up Moby Dick. You should get a shirt made. Yeah. I'll let you use my picture. Yeah. Don't do what this guy says about Moby Dick. Go there, xlvacx.com. Now, should be noted, despite the X's in the title and the website, <laughs> Chris Reject is not and never was straight edge. Um, He's not a turncoat, though, so I can't hold that against him. I think there are a total of two straight edge people on staff, though. Yes, Jared and Brad. Yeah. Proud so members of the order. If that matters to you for some reason. I don't know if, if Mitch is straight edge. but Mitch the, is certainly not. He's not straight edge? edge? Okay, no. so there's just two edgemen holding it down, so that's fine. There might be new edgemen on staff. No, there's not. I know... I don't think Alexis is, is of the order. And I just realized as I'm saying this that she listens to this podcast, so... Oh, does Now it's she? weird. <laughs> now it's weird. Oh, hello there. I met her the other day. Yeah, she's pretty cool. She saw, she saw the Lost Boys with us. Oh, you for the... So... Oh yes, yeah. was so, the second so thing. Now we are going to go into what we've been doing recently involving various horror, horror related activities. Yes. For me, I just had a nightmare. So there you go. You had a nightmare? No, I didn't. Oh, I haven't had a nightmare in a while. So, well, we we did have a nightmare. Okay, we had a nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> oh yeah, we, we had. Oh sweet Jesus! Yeah, I totally forgot. Totally forgot about that. So, <laughs> uh, not this past weekend. But the weekend nope. before that, the weekend of Wizard World, Wizard World out in Philadelphia, uh, there was Bloody Disgusting sponsored a horror festival, and we were mm, blessed enough to witness a screening of Nightmare on Elm Street through Dream Warriors. Yep, with live commentary, live by Chuck Russell, Chuck Russell, the director, the director of that and Liblob. Yes, and Heather Loggenkamp, literally the, Nancy, Nancy. You know? Nancy. It was and so then, great. And then they were like, okay, well, they got those two, but we need MCs. So who's going to MC this event? Well, the night before they had screened the Monster Squad, mm-hmm. and they got the two gentlemen from the Monster Squad's themed podcast, Squadcast, uh, to- <laughs> Is that really a thing? Yeah, they have a- they. Well, I don't think they just talk about Monster Squad. I well, I hope not, because it's- I mean, I love that movie, but how many episodes could you get out of Monster Squad? Right, right, right. But that's- they're the two dudes. Like, it's literally like- Andre Gower and Ryan Lambert? Yes. Yes. They basically are two guys who were in a movie a long time ago, and then since then they've lived their lives, and then now they've reconnected thanks to various uh, Monster Squad reunions, mm-hmm. and they're like buds, and they do bud shit. And we should do, do a Fred stuff. Decker episode. Yes, we should. I'm way into that. 
I am also into that. I mean, it's just two movies, really. Yeah. Because we're not going to talk about RoboCop 3. That's, no, Jesus Christ, no. I like RoboCop 3, though. What am I talking about? Come on. Anyway, that, that should be, that's what we're doing with Evan. Well, yes, but I think we should wait until, uh, well, it depends on when it's coming out. Okay. But we might want to wait till Predator's. Predator comes out. Excellent. Good idea. He's co-writing it with Shane Yes, Black. very, very good. But, so... So the Monster Squad guys were there. They host. They were the hosts. And, and they're they very cool. Funny. We hung out with they're them. They're so funny. They're so cool. So then, so you're probably thinking, man, this night can't get any better. Wrong. Wrong. Because then, Don fucking Dawkin came out and did an acoustic show for an hour. Don Dawkin looked like his outfit was chosen by Richard Stanley... <laughs> Just after, or the Undertaker, or the Undertaker, just after filming like Dust Devil, he yes, was like, all right, here you go, here's the jacketed hat and whatever, whatever. Don Dawkins was a man on the run from an evil he doesn't understand, and he stopped in Philadelphia. His horse was outside, tied to a thing, and he was like, "I gotta parch my thirst." Thankfully, there's a green room full of Fiji water. I mean, I assume it was a steel horse. Steel horse, yes, of course. Yeah. Um. So yeah, then Don Dawkins played all these songs. Um. Friend of the podcast, Chris Striegel, had a great time because he's a, like a Dawkins super fan. Yep. Um, and then they I, did. I had to leave early, but I did hear Dream Warriors. Yes, so. that was awesome. Yes. Um, and then they did a screening of the Blob. Oh, so did you stay for the Blob? You fucking better believe I stayed for the Blob. How was it? Amazing. That's a, one of the greatest remakes of all time. Well, okay, let me be clear. I didn't stay for the whole thing because obviously I had to drive back and it was like midnight. Yeah, it's far. Um, uh, but I stayed up to the part where. Um, Paul gets killed. He's in the doctor's office and he's like talking and it drops down on him from the floor or from the ceiling. Um, Just awesome. That was such a long and exhausting day for me because then I had to the next day get up early with the baby and whatever, whatever. So it was a lot, but it was so good. And let me point out too, early in the day, me and friend of the show, Evan Villola, were at Wizard World uh, because Josh Goldblum, so... Our whole connect with this is Josh Goldblum, who, if you don't know who that is, you should check out uh, the episode we recorded with him for Cinepunks. But um, he uh, programmed this whole horror weekend thing with Bloody Disgusting. So he hooked us up with passes. We did Wizard World. And then we went to a couple movies. And I bring that up to say we saw two films uh, that were part of the horror weekend. Uh, I think Evan saw more, but I saw two films. One was a movie called 68 Kill. Oh, that's one away from the perfect kill. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. So 68 Kill is, uh, I actually don't know who directed it. I know one of the producers is the guy who did Cheap Thrills, which is a movie I enjoy. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's very indie. It's uh, kind of a dark comedy in a lot of ways. But unlike a lot of these sort of... Um, edgy dark comedies where crazy shit happens this movie continually surprised me oh it's like you know how in my mind all of these movies that rely on their outrageousness in order to be funny are super predictable like whatever is the worst possible thing that's what's gonna happen yeah 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 this movie multiple times i was like oh well didn't see that coming and oh well that's fucked up or oh ooh, that's far grosser than i would have thought just things like that meanwhile the main character is this completely endearing guy. Like he's just a nice chill dude, which of course 
I'm inclined to not like because I'm like, oh, he's look at this guy, nice guy, he's fucking asshole. Yeah, you know, there's whatever. one thing we hate on the show. It's fucking nice people. <laughs> well, in the sense of like. A lot of times, a nice guy is like a cover for someone who's actually an inhuman monster. Yeah, I wasn't kidding. I actually hate nice people because yeah, yeah, yeah. they make my skin but crawl. What the thing about this dude is you realize that his kindness is probably covering up some issue because he's never noticed that his love of his life is definitely a psychopath. Like, okay. not like kind of a psychopath. But like full-blown, oh, yeah. like Dahmer psychopath. Things just go, and um, she uh, was a stripper. And now um, she lives with him, and she has a sugar daddy. And she's like, "Hey, you know the sugar? My sugar daddy has all this extra money. He's gonna buy a Ferrari. So let's go steal this money from him." And he's like, "I don't know. I don't know." She's like, "Come on." And of course, he doesn't feel much compassion for this guy. Yeah, this why is would a guy he? Who has sex with his girlfriend, and and she gets money. And yeah, then, fuck that guy. So he's like, "Well, whatever. Okay, we'll go." Only like it becomes really clear. And I'm not ruining the movie for you. This is the setup. This is like the beginning of the movie. It becomes clear pretty quickly once they get there that her intentions of like, let's just steal the money quietly and not hurt anyone and leave. That was never her actual intention at all. That this was from get-go a murder jaunt. And that's where, and then things get out of control from there. And that's like the setup is like, oh, we're actually murdering these people. Oh no, I don't know how I feel about that, honey. And then it's just downhill with turn after turn where I was like, oh, okay, all right, this is what's happening now. Um, okay. Um, a lot of the people in it I didn't necessarily recognize. I think there's a, I think the brother is the fat guy from American History X. Who The fat Nazi, yeah. Yeah, I believe that's her brother. Oh, that guy's and, still around. Yeah, and then the there's a part where there is a... Uh, uh, store clerk who I won't say anything else about because I don't want to ruin what happens to her. Okay, but she is uh, the fee- the woman from um, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, it's really good. So then we also saw the next movie was a movie called Dark Signal. How was that? I did not like it. Hmm. Um, there are parts of it I like, and I think the end it really tries to stick the ending. But the rest of the movie, the setup is not my favorite, and I feel like there's like a reveal that is counter it's like anticlimactic basically it's like and then actually this is what's going on uh, and i'm like oh, i don't give a fuck about that and I, you know it I, it has like five or six ideas which may or may not be good but they're all in the same movie it's like too much it's like there's a killer who takes women's tongues but there's also a ghost and maybe the ghost is one of his victims and maybe this is all happening in a different time frame that sounds like the shittiest movie that's ever been shitted out of some director's <laughs> shitty asshole it's definitely not that bad um there, there i feel like there are aspects to it that are endearing but Overall, I wish I had done something else. Yes, I know that feeling very well. Yeah, but anyways, it was a great opportunity that night hanging out, meeting the Monster Squad dudes who are very nice dudes. Yes. Um, seeing Nightmare on Elm Street 3 with, uh, you know, Nancy and the director mm-hmm. and just hanging out with some bros. It was awesome. You know? We had a good time. It was a good time. I mean... It was a real Cinepunks outing. It was a Cinepunks. Cinep- Cinepunks outing with guest stars uh, Chris Striegel and, and uh, Josh Goldblum. Yeah, that was a good time. Uh, well, we won't talk about what happened after we left. <laughs> some of Don Dawkins' water may or may not have gone missing, and um, yeah. Did you steal Don Dawkins' water? I may or may not have assisted in 
um, we'll call him uh, Evan V. <laughs> Hopefully, Josh doesn't listen to this podcast. Yeah, he may or may not have watched us do it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, so. Did you do anything else horror-related? Because well, there's the one thing we had in common I want to talk about after I... Okay, yeah, well, you go first, because yeah. that's what I was going to say next. So, um, I was lucky enough to catch the Lost Boys at um, the Mahoning Drive-In's oh, right. fan party. Now, you didn't stay for any of the other movies. Well, uh, one of the projectors broke down. Oh, no. So, they showed the first reel of Vampire's Kiss. Okay. And then they showed the Lost Boys. And then... At that point, it was like, uh, it's later than I thought it was going to be. So what was the, wait, so was Vampire's Kiss the first movie of the night? No, no, they showed like what they were going to do. So the projector breaks down and uh-huh. what they were going to do was um, sh- they were going to show that because they have that projection, the digital projector now. Sure. They're like, we have the DVDs of The Lost Boys and Fright Night. So it won't be the same with the 35 millimeter, but like you could still watch the movies at the drive-in. And then they were like, yeah, and why they were like they were like while we're setting that up, we'll play the first reel of Vampire's Kiss, and then while they're doing that, they were like, we are just gonna fucking wing it, and if you don't mind, every twenty minutes there being like a thirty second break while we change reels, rock and roll. So that's what they did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So I sat for the Lost Boys, and then I was I was just like, just too tired. To, you sure. know what I mean? Like. My mom came up with me. The Lost Boys is one of her, one of her favorite movies, which I love. That factoid, yeah. by the way. Yeah, she was like, you know, because they had the lobby all done up with like the uh, the murder capital of the yeah, world, yeah, yeah, and yeah, Chinese yeah. food containers. Oh, and there was yeah. one filled with actual night crawlers. No, and they, they had one with other like the, the 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 fake rubber worms for like fishing bait. And my mom, bless her kind soul, is like, get one of the pitches with the real light crawlers, Justin. Hold it up, and I'm like, first off, I can't grip these things without hurting them with chopsticks. And yeah, they're worms, but my true compassion is for all living things, not oh, just the ones that are the cute, so I do up. what I can. Oh, Jesus Secondly, Christ. little known fact about me, one of the few animals on this planet I am afraid of are fucking earthworms. Oh, when are we going to watch Squirm? Never. <laughs> I will, th- like, it, it, if I look on the floor and there's an earthworm right now, for whatever reason, I'm leaving. I just, they fucking scare me. I don't like them. Like, that scene in The Lost Boys where, like, he does with the Chinese, yeah, 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 yeah. I have to look away every time. It's so gross. Yeah, you know, some some friends were telling me just the other night about the first house they rented in Easton was down on six eleven. Okay, and every morning the kitchen would be filled with earthworms. They didn't know why. I'd burn that fucking house down. There's clearly <laughs> the devil himself has cursed that house. <laughs> you have to burn it. So, but it was cool. It was just it was neat because I love the Lost Boys. You know what I mean? That's one of those movies sure. that like that's one. It's just like and plus it was like that's one of the few things that like my mom and I have next to nothing in well, common. And I couldn't I couldn't go. Uh, for a variety of reasons, but that lineup, Lost Boys, uh, Fright Night, Fright Night, Vampire's Kiss, those are like if you were like, wh- who? What are three of your favorite vampire movies? You know, I'm kind of Vampire's Kiss. Okay, here's the thing. I like Vampire's Kiss, but yeah. it's more of like a guilty pleasure. Well, but let me put it this way. I was gonna say three of my favorite vampire movies that are uh, outside, like uh, off the beaten path vampire movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're not, all three of those movies are not traditional vampire movies. No, no, no. They in some sense fuck with the genre. Now granted, Vampire's Kiss is kind of goofy and silly and whatever, whatever, but I kind of like that about it. And, yeah, I mean, and I've, I, I mean, The Lost Boys, I, I, that's like one of those movies that like, I mean, I watch the movie every Halloween with, with friend of the podcast, John Carlo DeMarchi. Again, it's one of my mom's favorite movies 
it's like it's one of those movies I don't know anyone who has seen that movie and doesn't not like it. Like I don't know anyone who's like, yeah, The Lost Boys is okay. Like I don't know anyone who hasn't seen the movie and isn't like this movie's amazing. Like I mean, Saxman alone. No, oh, Tim, uh, Tim Capello. His fucking name is Tim Capello. <laughs> I don't care what his name is. Maybe I'll put a in the show notes. I'll put a picture of me the year I dressed up for him as Halloween. That was pretty cool. <laughs> um, it's just a great movie. And it was a great experience. A side note. Is Sexy Saxman supposed to look like the Saxman from Lost Boys? Again, his name is Tim Capello, and no. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, I saw in theaters, I saw The Mummy with Tom Cruise, and he wasn't in the theater, but he was in the movie, and it was watchable. I almost went to see it because you said it was good, and then I was like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Again. Don't misquote me. I didn't say it was good. I said I enjoyed it. Those are very two distinct things. Sure, sure, sure. Um, you don't got to see this movie. <laughs> it's, I, I just I mean, if you got nothing to do on a Sunday afternoon and you got money to spend, um, go see it. Yeah, I'll wait till I have a free opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was definitely um, there was a lack of the Gill Man in it, which I was upset about because I love the Gill Man. You mean the creature from the Black Lagoon? Yeah. I mean... You see his hand, or its hand. Their hand. I didn't realize all the monsters were making a guest appearance in this fucking movie. I mean, they're not making a guest appearance, but they're setting it up for a shared universe. Yeah, well, you don't have to... It's not like in Iron Man 1, you saw all the other fucking heroes. I mean, to be fair, you don't see Frankenstein's monster. You don't see the Wolfman, and you don't see the Invisible Man. Um, No, but it was just... is goofy. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, 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 the people who've come to its defense are like, well, it's more of a horror movie than Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. Yes, I will, I will go to bat for this. It, there, there are, and the lead actress who plays the actual mummy, I thought she was great in it. I, I, like, the thing is, is I like the actual storyline. I like the fact that it's like, it's, you know, there's this like dark Egyptian god who's like trying to get into the modern world, and this idiot like stumbles into the this. You know, it's something greater than himself and all that. Like, the story's fine. It's just the execution is ball-crushingly bad. <laughs> like, it's really, really bad. And, like, there's a lot of humor in it, and not much of it hits hits its point. Um, I also saw, and I'm not going to talk about it much, I just got it. It came into the shop for free. I watched The Bye-Bye Man. Come on. It was free. We're spending so much time on bad things. It was free. Was it? Was there anything redeemable about By My Band? Yes, Carrie Ann Moss was very good in it. Okay. Well, and I, I just don't believe you. That's fine. I mean, and it, you know, it, I, I, I mean, the movie was horrible, but it was, it was also marketed very poorly. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the really cool thing that I saw and Liam saw. It's a little movie called It Comes at Night. Yes. Uh. A con- let's let's name it right up front. A controversial movie. It yes. Um, I will say I saw this movie um, in a... It wasn't empty, but it wasn't full. And when the movie was over, uh, I had a tension headache because I was freaking out about this movie. Sure. The Lafayette students behind me thought this was the worst fucking movie they'd ever seen with the shittiest ending. In fact, one of those gentlemen actually screamed, that's it, when the, when the, the credits came up. Yeah, I've been in those sort of movies yeah. before. Um, 
this movie was not scary, but uh, it again, I, I've said so many times that the purpose of a movie, of a horror film, is to create an atmosphere of dread, and this movie does that in droves. Like, yeah, it's so tense and so grim that it, I, it was just that's what fuck it said. It's it set out to ruin my day, and I was like, well, that there you go. I don't. <laughs> I just want to go home and go to sleep. So I'm, uh, I'm a little torn on the movie. <laughs> um, I want to love it because here's the thing. So I said the movie's controversial, and it is. Uh, it's one of those movies where the Rotten Tomato critic score for the film is eighty nine percent. It's pretty good. For That's pretty horror. good. Yeah, pretty good horror movie. The user rating of your average moviegoer is currently at 40%. That's because people are fucking stupid. Right. And while many people who told me they don't like the movie are the sort of people who see that and they go, see, look at that, dumb critics. Look at these dumb critics. I'd rather side with the people. People don't like it, I don't like it. Or the people like it, I like it. But I'm actually the opposite of that. I'm inclined to think the critics are probably right and your average moviegoer is an idiot. If you don't, if that seems like an elitist thing, I'm sorry, but, you know, Transformers makes a lot of goddamn money and fucking all kind. I mean, don't get me wrong. Occasionally, movies are popular that are also pretty good. Yeah. I think, I think Wonder Woman is actually pretty good. I have some problems with it, but it's pretty good. And it's doing really well so that's great and um the mummy is not doing very well so sometimes the market knows what sometimes it's, yes they know what they're doing but the idea that like oh here's a horror movie that is uh outside the mainstream or, or not what people expect and audiences hate it i'm like oh cool i'll probably love it that go, sounds right up my go alley. on the I, I don't know if it was the I, I posted this on instagram i don't know if it was the only it comes in an instagram or their facebook page someone commented and was like this is the worst movie ever. It's a waste of two hours of my life. I want my money back. And it, again, like we, we kind of talked about this in the last episode. Like, if you're going to use absolute quantifiers such as this is the worst movie ever, like, I have to question your uh, sanity, I guess. Not even your taste, but like. I mean, here's the thing about it uh, um, our own website. Definitely posted a very negative review of this movie. I didn't read it. Who, who wrote it? Who wrote it? Billy. Billy Ray Bruton. Um, and I got to be honest, I went into it after watching the movie. I went into it kind of like, what's Billy going to say? What's Billy going to say? And even though I, I came out of the movie with a different opinion than him, I actually think he's right about some things, which is that I like this movie and i think it was underwritten okay i think it i think it would have benefited from more um one of the things it does which i think does not serve the movie well is it montages Mm. you know what i mean audience you know what i mean rather than have a longer movie in which characters are developed and relationships are revealed through scenes in which there's dialogue. There is a chunk in the middle of an hour and a half movie that's just montage. We see them doing things together with a soundtrack in the background. I don't love that. I don't love that when that happens in romantic comedies. I don't know that I want it in my 
emotionally tense horror movie. If it's not a movie that involves Rocky Balboa, I don't trust a montage. Yeah, and the thing is, is that you know, uh, it's not that montages can't be done to good effect. You bring up Rocky Balboa, great example. That's mm-hmm. all we need to see is like that, and it works for a reason. It emotionally builds you up. In this movie, I just didn't think it Short was... Circuit 2 has a good montage scene, too. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> all I remember from Short Circuit 2 is the, the chant from the gang after, the, after he joins the gang. Yes. Something about kicking your nuts into outer space. Mm-hmm. I love that part. Anyways, point being is that I just it, when the movie ended, I liked how stark it was. I think it was very emotionally effective, and the acting is next fucking level yes like, the performances are unbelievable but i just wanted there to be more there so that when all the stark shit happens and i won't i think we should not spoil this absolutely movie for yes but the movie stark it's harsh it's 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 a tough movie and it and it does not hold your hand but i don't know that it spends enough time earlier in the movie to like justify all that so that it, it comes off a little shallower. Whereas, I mean, you said that's two hours of my life. It went back is what the guy said. It's not two hours. It's an hour and a half movie. <laughs> I think another half hour of this movie, as much as the people who hate it would not be served by that, they would have just hated it more as someone who liked it and thought that it was pretty good. I could have done with another 20 minutes. I don't know if I could have handled another 20 minutes. I 100% could handle another 20 minutes. But what would happen with another 20 minutes is inevitably you'd have to ratchet down the tension. So what the movie does is the only parts of the movie that aren't tense is the fucking montage. Like that's the other thing about the montage is that it's the only part that's not like, fuck, what's going on? Fuck, oh my God. I think that you could have had some well-written scenes that maybe weren't as tense but still added to the film that deepened the characters more, that drew out the dynamic a little bit more. Now, what none by none of that do I mean what some audiences have said. They want explanations. I don't need any fucking... I don't want an explanation. I don't want to know what the... I don't know what's going on. I don't want to know what the sickness mm-hmm. is. I don't nope. want any of that. I don't even like the fact you're talking about it right now. <laughs> I won't say anything else. But what I'm all I'm saying is, I think f- for people whose criticism of the movie is that the script is light that there could be more to the script, I think they actually have a strong point. I think that that is true. And I don't mean that as a bust on the movie, like, oh, and thus it's a bad movie. I'm just saying it's one of the few movies that could use more movie, and then the movie would be better. Fair enough. That being said, everyone else is also right, who's like, it's emotionally intense, and it never gives up, and it's really effective. Like, I think that's true, too. I just, when I read the people who, like, hated it, people who hated it tend to fall into two categories. People who I think just would never like a movie like this because they just want a movie to have, like, I don't know, some sort of, like, emotional arc wrap-up thing. Yes, and this a is payoff. Like, this movie is more like a really cruel short story. It's just like a short story that you read it and you go, fuck, Yes. all this, right, that was my day. <laughs> yeah, this... uh I, I don't even I oh my god uh, you I don't just, need you don't need to say anything else about no, it no I mean I, it, think, it just, I think it's I think honestly if you I, th- I I I think the problem for me too is that when a lot of people have said like oh it's like the witch and I think the witch is just so much more so much better done than this that I think that that's leading people astray but I can say that it is like the witch in that it is not a traditional horror movie and it relies on dread. There's no big 
reveals. There's no like. There's no payoff. There's no chases. Yes. You know what I mean? Oh, this, this, there's this, one. But. This, this movie relies more on terror than it does horror. It sure. relies on um, this idea that the less that's explained is the better. There's this idea of a coherent family unit that is struggling to survive against something. And they never explain what that something is. They don't. So I think it's also a movie that I, I will enjoy thinking about into the future because it makes me want to like use it as a space to think about like family, you know? Yeah. So like for me, like I'm inclined one of my inclinations as a parent is to take very seriously criticisms of the family as an idea. So in this movie you have two families and the the sort of paterfamilias you know yes they're very sort of heteronormative that way both families have a dad who's like the head of the household Mm -hmm. and those those dudes could seemingly justify many things i will give this movie their family i will give this movie credit for one thing there isn't there isn't an an interracial couple and it's not a focal point of the movie they don't bring it it up once doesn't matter but i i say that to say i think this in that sense, creates a really helpful space for thinking about the problems with the family and how it functions in America in that you're watching this movie going like, of course, you do anything for your family. And I think that's actually a problem. It's very toxic because sometimes your family, myself included, are terrible people. Well, true, true. But I will like, I know people in my family who would fuck me over at the drop of a hat. Sure. If not even a zombie apocalypse if they saw a guy walking strangely down the street and thought there might be a zombie apocalypse. But I think that, um, I think that, um, it's easy. I think it's easy to critique the family as something that falls apart. But I think the family is also problematic because it is the good for which all other goods can be forgotten, you know? Yeah. So, any evil, any bad thing. So the the way I think about it, the way I said it to Suze, and I think this is something maybe I should write about a little bit for Cinepunks, just because I've been thinking about it. It's like, as a new dad, I realized that the idea that I would do many things for my daughter is actually true. That yeah. I get that. I get why people say that, and I get why they feel that way. But the problem becomes... uh Instead of what that should lead people to realize is that it'd be better if we lived in a society in which that calculus didn't come into play. Like the fact that I know that if I really had to choose, I would want to choose my child over your child is not like a justifiable thing. No, no. We we make it justifiable the same way we make war justifiable. Like war is hell, so it just is what it is. And, you know, eventually we got to bomb another country and that's, it sucks. It's the worst thing ever, but that's just how it is. And that's how we treat this family thing that like, look, you know, it sucks that I'm going to have to like, you know, deny you something so that my child can have something. To me, the obvious ethical choice there is to go, wouldn't it be better if we lived in a world where I didn't have to make that choice. That, yeah, like, let's work towards this, both our kids surviving. Like The minimum thing for me, like, okay, obviously we should all be going for the max. The maximum thing is we live in a society of love and compassion in which I want every person to have maximum opportunity and equality because it's the right thing. But my minimum moral calculus right now is I never want to have to make the choice between my child and another child. 
I just, I refuse. I don't want that to be my life. So I want to live in a world where I don't have to make that choice. And I think this movie like highlights that because it's against their will. They, they're put in a situation. I think they make some terrible decisions Yes, and you'll see that if you see the movie, but so I don't want to spoil it for you. But the point is, is that they don't have a choice, but I think many people are making decisions like these people do in this movie under far less strenuous yes, under ideal circumstances people are doing this and w- what I like about this movie is like I like the TV show The Walking Dead I like Fear the Walking Dead but one of the things I don't like about it is that it glamorizes situations like this mm-hmm. like people tend to like one of the things I like about Fear the Walking Dead is that so far none of the characters have done some of the um morally reprehensible things that Rick Grimes has done in the name of survival. Like, I like Rick Grimes, but he's done some terrible things. Like, this movie, and, but, and then people are like, Rick's a fucking badass. He fucking chewed that guy's throat up and threatened to fuck his kid. Like, yes, it, this is cool, but like, Rick is still a terrible person. <laughs> Where in this movie, it's like, some shit goes down, and then it shows the, the, the aftermath, and it's like, oh, well, would you look at that? You did something terrible, and now you feel like shit about it because that's what fucking happens. Like, and it made me as the move, the as the viewer be like, man, this really sucks. Now I feel like hell. Yeah, and I and I worry that part of the negative reaction again, not everybody. There are lots of people who have other issues with the movie, um, but I think some of the negative reaction is people who are like, well, they didn't do anything badass. It wasn't badass at all. It's like, yeah. That's this is. I've literally seen things on the internet where people were just like, so what comes at night? What the fuck? What is it? Oh my god! Yeah. Okay. Well, so anyway, we should we should get into the episode. Yes, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about 2014's film, Starry Eyes. Hey, it's Bill Mosley, and you're listening to Horror Business. <laughs> Welcome to Big Taters. My name is Sarah. Can I start you guys off with an order of our Freedom Tots? We got all these people, all our friends. They're just sitting around trying to figure out what to do, trying to figure out how to make something. I thought you were avoiding me. Why would you think that? Because I stole your role. Come on with you lately. I work so hard. Every week it's a new class, a new audition. Hopefully you'll see something in me. I know I'd be great for this. We'll be in touch. me i'm your girl i will do whatever it takes for this role 
And we are back. That's disgusting. <laughs> we are back to talk about 2014's Starry Eyes. Written and directed by Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer. And starring Alex Iso and Noah Segan. You know what I recognize that guy from? Yeah. It wasn't Looper, even though I saw Looper and he was totally in Looper. It was from a little film called Dead Girl that came out a couple years ago. Did you ever see Dead Girl? No. You should really watch Dead Girl. He's fucking cool in that. So, Starry Eyes. Um, I saw this movie a few years ago. Uh, I forget who recommended it, and I forget how I got to watch it, but I really liked it. I have a soft spot for Los Angeles. Um, obviously, I'm going there tomorrow for a couple days. Um, the movie is about, um, I guess a basic plot would be, Sarah is an up-and-coming hopeful movie star who has moved to Los Angeles. She works a shit job as a waitress. She spends her days in this horrible job listening to Pat Healy tell her what to do. And she spends her nights hanging out with her group of vapid and very superficial friends and going to auditions and failing miserably until one night or one time she gets a callback for a little film called Silver Scream by the production company... I want to. We'll just say Ozymandias Productions. It's, it's not I that. I think it's like Azrael or it's Az- not as It's 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 some demon. Azrael or Azrael and Azrael are the demons of the the, the angels of death. Azrael, Astriel or something like that. Astriel. It's Astriel. Astriel. So she gets so she gets a call back to Astriel. So a bunch of weird shit goes down, and then mayhem ensues. Which I realize I say that a lot about a lot of movies. You do. If I don't want to give someone, if I don't want to give some away, da 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 or yada yada or whatever. Yeah. It, if I don't want to give the title away, I'm just like mayhem and Sue's. Like, hey, what's love actually about? But there's people in England they fuck each other. Then mayhem and Sue's. <laughs> so, um, I really like this movie. Um, I like everything about this. I like the performances. I like the way it looks. I love the soundtrack. Jonathan Snipes is a maestro. The soundtrack to this, the soundtrack for this was made for me to drive around at night after it rained, pretending I'm like a detective solving a crime that hasn't been solved yet. <laughs> that's what this. That's what this is. That's what this is made for. Um, I guess we'll. Are you gonna ask me what I thought of the movie? What did you think of the movie? Have you wait for you've seen this movie before, right? I have. Okay, what did you think of the movie? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, no, I, I I it's similarly I I think I had heard about it maybe coming out of a Fantastic Fest. I think this played Fantastic Fest. Yeah, I think it I think it's one of those you want it played one of the years I wasn't there and people were really stoked on it and so it was I think it was pretty available early on too. So, um, yeah, it, I didn't know what to expect going in, other than people had recommended it, and I knew there were, you know, it was kind of a smaller production with people who had been in other things that I liked. Um, so, I was pretty surprised by it. I didn't know what it was going to be, and it has such a creepy body horror feel to it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it didn't really, uh, it didn't really get marketed as like a body horror film. I feel that this movie, when it came to a woman transforming into something less than alive, I feel that this movie succeeded where contracted, fucking fell woefully short. Yeah, I can see that. Um, 
not only because the actress who plays Sarah in this movie is just amazing. Sure. Um, but it was also a lot grosser. I mean, it was really revolting, the, the transformation she was going through. And you felt terrible for her. I mean, not that the girl in Contracted, you didn't feel terrible for her, but this was like... I, this was just like, I, I just, you felt like this girl wanted more than anything to be a movie star. Sure. And she just got the fucking shit end of the stick. Um, and I think that's what, that's what makes all this like, that's what makes this like extra heartbreaking is because she's, she's surrounded by people she thinks are like, like-minded, but you never get the feeling that she, like you, you always get the feeling that she actually has a, a sincere love of acting and she actually wants to be successful at it while all the people she surrounds herself with are the most superficial and banal people that walk the planet banal 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 i don't i don't know i think it's banal. i'm not a scholar <laughs> i'm not a scholar yeah i mean it it's it's interesting because it uh i think similarly to our other movie too it takes her desire and on one hand you feel sympathetic for her Yes. On the other hand, it is the very thing that allows her to be sort of seduced into this situation. Oh, yeah. She willingly goes into this. And I think that makes it more heartbreaking. Like, she's not a victim of circumstance. She willingly takes it. But you also understand, like, the way that her circumstances lend themselves to these decisions. And the movie does a good job of uh, implicating the audience. That you ask yourself, like, well, but what would I do? You know? Oh, yeah, I mean? yeah. I mean, it's really easy to say, like, uh, clearly this is something evil. Because clearly I'm I wouldn't suck this old guy's dick. I mean, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but you know, you don't know. I mean, if you want to do something like, if I don't know, like, if someone came up to me and said, hey, Justin, we'll give you $40 million to make a horror movie, I might blow an old guy while an old woman watched. I don't know. It's fair. It's fair. I wouldn't do that. I just want to say... I might do that. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing is, is that it's it. She's being asked. There's a sense in which whatever she does, she's being asked to degrade herself, and yes. that is, and that is sort of, I guess, the experience. I mean, I think this movie, in a very real way, gets at the experiences of a lot of people who are in Hollywood, quote unquote, whether that's directly in Hollywood or somehow connected to making movies, you know, not all these people literally are physically in Hollywood, but the people who are trying to make it in somehow, the industry. Yeah. That there are already a lot of difficult and frustrating decisions that have to be made. And so um, she gets to the point where she has this calculus like, okay, I'm already degrading myself. Through my shitty job. Through my shitty job. Also through my shitty friends. I mean, nothing is working. And uh, there's this really telling moment where she is, Noah Segan's character, is sort of like also trying to win her over and also trying to play a game. I think sincerely. Yes, but but it's not clear that he's ever gonna follow through. No, but the thing is, is there are, I think there are honestly two pure people in this movie. Noah Segan's character and her roommate. Everyone else is either a gigantic banal piece of shit or it's Sarah who's this like 
I, I, like woefully naive and yet at the same time like all too knowing that it, it's just like you can't like she's a sympathetic character but at the same time it's just like the shit she does for success is like I don't know it, it, it it's just like there are very few pure people in this movie I, I'm actually torn on Noah Segan's character. Not that I think he's corrupt in the same way, but it's not clear to me that he is um, sincere. Like, he has this thing about, we're going to, we just need to do it. We're just going to make this movie. No, but he's he's naive to a fault. But, like, honestly, that's as good as it gets in this movie. Is you have the other people in this movie who, who range from, like, um, like, pretentious assholes to cruel undermining like the, the the one girl in this movie who every literally every line she speaks in this movie is like a backhanded compliment yeah passive aggressive bullshit towards sarah it, she sort of eventually becomes the comedic relief of the film because she says so much awful shit so that you end up laughing you can't help it it's not that what she says is funny but it's that like you're like oh gosh she's gonna say something terrible again and then she does it and you're like it's oh like, was fuck. your grandfather twirling his mustache as he tied a woman to railroad tracks like that's how evil she is like she just says this like <laughs> really like oh like i gotta give that that girl that character credit because the stuff she says is so like Oh my god, like Yeah, yeah, that she could pull that character off yeah. is interesting. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing too though, is that her this is part of what is weird for Sarah in this situation. Because that girl's connected to Noah's character. She doesn't I mean? have a, a I, she doesn't have a safe space. Right. Everywhere she goes, there's somebody who wants something from her or is hostile towards her. Yeah. There's no place where she feels okay. Even her roommate, who seems to just want the best for her, she can't trust her. Like she tells that group things and she's not sure that she wants that to be public knowledge or not. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she like Sarah doesn't there's no safe haven for her and I think that's what drives her to do to you know degrade and debase herself for but there's also this this thing i mean i think in a way that is a bit with starry eyes when i say it's deconstructing it i don't know that it's doing that because it's against it it's just acknowledging the reality that for these folks there's something they're chasing which which is fame you know, like that's what Sarah wants a little bit is to be is to be this actress and be famous and get what she. Yeah, you know. but one thing I like about it, it really doesn't glamorize that struggle at all. No, but I don't think it completely takes it apart. It's like taking this thing that's sort of difficult for. I'm sure if you're in that situation, you want this thing, but it's something that you're told you shouldn't want or that isn't important. So in a way the movie becomes about that desire about wanting that thing that maybe you shouldn't want i know? think it, what it's sort of like is it, it uh one thing that I, I thought while watching it was it it was like i know people who have seen this movie are just like sarah's disgusting i would never do that but it's like in american society we have this idea where it's like if you have a dream and you have a goal you should do whatever it takes to get that goal right but then when sarah does that it's like oh but she brought it upon her like she got her, I mean, I guess she got what she wanted, but people are like, yeah, but at what cost? It's like, no, you're telling people that they have this drive to do whatever it takes, and that, like, when it blows up in their face, like, like you're going to 
criminal i i guess like um not villainize them but uh take glee in it i don't know well i mean i think to some extent um that's part of the difficulty represented by her friends like uh there's a sense in which sometimes your friends are just people who are on the same journey as you who are in the same situation as you and that's what these people are to her they're just people who find themselves in similar circumstances but uh those people aren't necessarily trustworthy you know what i mean so and you never get the feeling that they're actually doing anything like they talk and talk and talk and talk about uh what's his face's movie and but they don't like the only person you see actually doing anything going to these auditions is is sarah so I don't know. I mean, there's a sense in which the attack on Sarah is in some sense based around the fact that she's doing something. Because she has talent. Right. Like, like they, y- you don't get the, like, like the girl, her arch enemy, whose name I don't care to know, she's like, she she's very dramatic and she's often makes herself the center of attention. But I think she lacks that, that very vital uh, ability that Sarah has. And I think even Sarah doesn't realize how great of an actor act, actor she is because when she reads for when she does this read through, they're initially unimpressed with her. It's only when they watch her as she actually is when she's not acting that they realize like, holy shit, this is the girl we want. This is the girl with the fire. This is the girl who can um, who can truly unleash whatever it is she's feeling inside and translate that to the to, to, to the silver screen or in this case, the silver screen. Ah. I'm going to disagree with you there. How? I don't think that's what they're drawn to. I think they're drawn to the fact that she's broken. What she reveals in the bathroom is that she's fucking flawed and she has serious issues. Touche. I think what they're drawn to is her, I wouldn't say mental illness because she's not symptomatic of anything, but I think it's the reason she acts out is because there's something not great going you realize on that there. what you're saying is that they were like predators seeing a weakness and they were like we could manipulate this girl to do whatever we want i think that's part of it but i think it's not just that it's it's uh the predator aspect but i think it's it's slightly more manipulative like um yes we can get her to do what we want but she'll want to do it it's not just they don't threaten her to get what they want yeah 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 the idea is she has to choose it she has to choose she has to be uh, I don't know, hungry enough, passionate she, enough she to, to choose something that they that will end up being bad for her. Yeah, I think that's what's going on in that scene, and I think, I think what the movie's doing at that point. Again, I think if we're you know we're watching it and we're kind of emotionally connecting to her a little bit, but I wonder how many people watching this movie who themselves are performers or actors or whatever yeah. see something in Sarah that they're like, that's me. That's how I would be. That's what I'm like. That's yeah. I have something that, yes, it's 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 uh, vulnerable and it's problematic in some ways, but it helps me. I mean, the thing is, is like, is it scary when she kind of pulls on her hair a little bit? Yeah, sure. It's terrifying. Yeah, but she is dealing with these emotions, and those emotions are coming from somewhere. And I'm sure to that extent, that does help her act, and it does help her sort of emote. Um, but yeah, I don't think they care. I mean, it's there. She never is going to act. She's just going to be transformed into a demon. I and that's another thing I like about this movie. Um, 
so this is by the way spoiler alert territory but uh it's not rosemary's baby i think when it starts and you start to see that relationship there's a sense in which it could be rosemary's baby or something along those ideas that she is the vessel but that's not what's happening and that's also what's weird because uh as you hinted at the pivotal moment seems to be where she just blows an old dude <laughs> oh, an old man i just wrong an old man who should have by all rights been played played by udo kier yeah definitely like udo kier and i don't mean like blade udo i mean like blood for dracula udo kier yeah and so she sucks on this old man's genitalia and then thing other things happen i don't i don't it's unclear but then the transformation <laughs> mayhem <starts>. ensues <laughs> <laughs> jesus christ and i remember the first time i saw it thinking oh does she have like a demon inside her now because it's weird that she got impregnated through her mouth like that's literally what i was thinking uh, yes but that's not what's going on there it's part of a journey getting impregnated you know hr geiger was like yes impregnate the mouth oh very good it's part of a journey of her corruption that ends up in her dying and it, being reborn it had a very classic um witchcraft aspect to it like the corruption of a willing vessel by some high priest to be uh in order to be a this vessel um like sexual corruption is like you know like the devil's kiss is uh is that that's what it reminded me of it, it there was something almost pagan about it and then um her being reborn um i think was very fitting because it was like yeah. it was very pagan because it was like obviously with the obvious them walking up the hill carrying the the whatever they were the little fluorescent lights um but her actually emerging from the ground transformed right um and then i you know it was a little heavy handed where it was like you know literally above the uh los angeles skyline uh yeah i mean there's an extent to which the whole movie could be viewed as a little heavy-handed like um that you have to sort of die to who you were as a normal in order or to be that they reborn w- as this like famous star or whatever something less than human or you know that hollywood worships you know the embodiment of fame it was uh, i mean i've i've heard this movie com- people have said this movie has like a lot of like david lynch overtones to it the only thing the only david lynch thing that i had that i felt was it was like a critique of Hollywood in the way that like Mulholland Drive was. Um, I felt that the the scene where they're watching her audition, it reminded me of the scene in Mulholland Drive where um, Justin Theroux is, um, you know, he's met by the two executives and they're like, this is the woman you're going to cast. And he's like, no, but I have an actress. Like, no, you're going to cast her. And then he freaks out with the espresso. That's what I was, it's just this, this, this idea that the higher ups in Hollywood are either devil worshiping maniacs or just, inhuman i mean that's just accurate that's it's just true it's very true um but that was the only like uh lynch comparison that i felt was in this movie yeah i mean i, I guess in some of the there's a couple of performances that i would say particularly were, the people watching her yeah there's were, there's a sense that but there's not the same sort of um reality bending i mean this is no. all very straightforward yeah narrative. this is very i mean the only times where you're like oh is this like a dream it's like Sucking the old guy's dick, like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some dreamlike things that happen, and I do want to bring up the comparison to Possession. Um, sure, I felt I feel like an idiot because I don't have the actress from Possession's name off the top of my head, but 
a lot of the times when Sarah was portraying this like woman under duress, I yep. was like, this is like possession in the best way. Particularly the scenes, the scenes where she's freaking out for her audition. And then there's that scene towards the end where she's crawling down the hallway and crying into the phone like, I'm dying. I'm dying. Help me. And the guy's like, oh, you thought this would be easy. Um, yeah, just it reminded me a lot of the subway scene in, 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 in Possession where uh, the, that actress is just going fucking crazy in the best way. Yeah, that's um, uh, Isabel Ajani. Yes, bless her soul. Um, yeah, there's a couple of shots of her as she's going through whatever this process is that she's going through that are clear homages. Homages. Homages to... Uh, uh, possession uh, in a in a great way, not in a way where you're like, "Ooh, fucking ripoff," but like it 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 works. Really yeah, it well. totally works. It, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, I think um, it's an it's a it's an interesting transition. So, um, what ends up happening is it's not enough that she's basically dying in order to become this thing. She has to also make finally moral corrupt decisions. she has to destroy literally herself and her world yeah and so that means murdering a bunch of people and i and i and i uh i'm torn on that section on one hand i get it and it allows for some of the better gore in the movie that um, fucking dumbbell scene to the head yeah 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 holy yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit. And don't get me wrong, like there's some other gore, like the body horror stuff is really well done. Oh, you mean when she threw up maggots and then I myself almost threw yeah, up? Yeah, <laughs> Justin literally almost threw up. We're watching this just in my basement casually, and he's like, Hah! and I was like, bro, it's so disgusting. There's a rug in here, man. Come on. Um, but uh, I don't know. What's Speaking going of on disgusting, tonight. don't, don't vomit maggots on the rug. I know. I don't know what's going on tonight, but um. So all that to say, there is other opportunities for goo. However, the most sort of violent gore stuff kind of happens in this scene where she goes to uh, where uh, Noah Segan's character lives. We still don't know his name. It's fine. And she just murders everyone. And I, I just don't know. I get it, and I get how it's part of her corruption, but it felt superfluous in a way to me. It was an excuse to show gore. Yeah, and and I don't love that. I, I'm not saying it makes the movie bad. What I'm saying is, I actually think a lot of the rest of the movie works and is important. You know, so like all the scenes with Pat Healy makes sense. The story aspect, even the random like party scenes with her friends, they all sort of establish who these awful people are yeah, and these like the complexity of her relationships with them. It's not that they have no emotions or that they're caricatures, but they're not endearing in any particular not at way. All. So I get all of that. The murder just felt the murders just felt like the only extraneous part of the story. On the other hand, it was cool. So I was sort of torn because like I, I thought, uh, I don't know that this is needed for this movie. That I think mm. the movie would work as a horror movie without these murders. On the other hand, I like them. So I, I, I'm, I'm sort of torn. I, I guess what it is is that sometimes supernatural movies resort to slasher shit. And that's, that bumps me out a little bit. I actually kind of, uh, I actually kind of enjoyed it beyond the effects from a, from a, from an effects standpoint because again I, I cannot stress how amazing the, and I'm not a gore person I don't, I'm not like man like the gore in Nightmare on Elm Street 4 was so good or anything like that I don't know that's that's the best I got but 
the scene where she crushes a girl's head with a dumbbell yep. is beautiful in a way. It's like art. It's like just amazing to look at. But I do think that the murdering of those people, I think it serves a purpose because like my father always said, a spear has no branches. And what? <laughs> How does that apply? A spear has no branches. A spear has no branches. I'm not saying a spear has branches. What I'm saying is what? When you want to be a true weapon to strike true in the heart of your enemy, you must use a branch, a spear that has... She needs to cut off everything and her corruption is not complete if she has any connection to the human world. And as banal and superficial and plastic as these people are, they're still connections to that world. And I think she needed to get rid of them. Okay. I she might... needed to get rid to to embrace the trueness of her art. She needed to get rid of the, the flaws and the diamonds to become something harder and more pure than she was at the beginning of the movie. And all those people represented weakness. I might I might I might be sold on that, but I'm not sure. It just like I said, I feel like there's a real economy of storytelling in the movie, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's how I feel about it. And so uh I mean whatever. I'm being nitpicky about that. But um I think a lot of it really works. Even, I mean, the the clearly most exploitative aspect of the movie is that she has to blow this old man. And yet, all of that really worked for me as kind of a metaphor for, maybe not a metaphor, but like the idea of like, this is part of, the, it's so degrading, but it's part of her transformation. It's like a communion of sorts. And yeah, I, I'm yeah, not yeah. trying to be funny. That's what it, that's, it's, yeah, exactly. it's like an inversion of communion. Exactly. And so, um, I liked all that. I guess it's just the only part of the movie where I was like, this is not, I don't feel like we're, it didn't feel like we were advancing in that part. Okay. That's done. Then that's, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. I oh. like the part where she kissed her roommate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually did like that because it was fucked up and all the, and it doesn't make any sense. What happens in that scene? Is she biting her tongue? Is she shooting venom? Does she have pincers in her mouth I now? choose to believe she has alien jaws that we don't see. Yeah, very possible. You don't know. All you know is it's it's bad news for the roommate. Also, uh, let's talk about for a second the dedication that this actress had to her craft. Liam and I are, I'm going to go ahead and say 90 to 95% certain she shaved her head for this movie. I mean... Don't get me wrong. We know what a ball cap is. We're not we're not naive. Yeah, I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. I know Bill Mosley didn't shave his head for that scene. Yeah, we we know. We know there are such things as ball caps. But what I'm saying is, if she has a bald cap on, it's a really good one. It's very believable. Yes, I think she shaved her head. Yes, I choose to believe that as well because this movie didn't have the budget for CGI like that. Oh yeah. Well, they must have done something because her eyes are definitely not green. Mm. They glow but that's a lot easier that's a lot easier to do than the bald cap that's true that's true so I think Liam and I really like starry eyes yeah I mean I think it's a I think it's a movie very much about desire and I think it doesn't glorify the need or the desire to be famous or to succeed in acting but I don't think it completely problematizes it either and I like that I like that it's an ambiguous film I wonder if it's a film that could only be made by people who are in that process you know what i mean yeah and i wonder if you're the sort of person where the very idea of getting together with your uh hipstery friends and living in la and trying to make it as actors if that sounds just disgusting to you from the get 
you might not like this movie. I'm just yeah. putting that out there. Because, yeah, you're not going to be able to get past that because that's mostly what this movie is. Yeah, I mean, to me, I was watching it thinking, like, I don't like any of these people, but do I know people like this or could I have known people like this? Like, easily. It's not alien to me. It's just kind of like, uh, I'm kind of glad that's not my life. Yeah. What a sad, like the party scene is like the saddest thing in the world. Oh my gosh. So that was Starry Eyes. Um, I would recommend it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Same. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Nicholas Winding Refn's 2016 psychological horror film, The Neon Demon. Stay tuned. Would you consider it psychological? I mean, uh, <laughs> All right, we're it's not physiological. Under the black sun there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinephones Podcast Network. I see 20 or 30 girls come in here every day, mostly from small towns with big dreams. And they're all good. You, you're going to be great. Beauty isn't everything. It's the only thing. She has that thing. Look at Jesse. Who wants sour milk when you can get fresh meat? I know what I look like. Women would kill to look like this. Stop! Are we having a party or something? talk about 2016's neo-noir psychological horror thriller the neon demon starring keanu reeves <laughs> am i supposed to are we trading off l fanning someone else jenna malone jenna malone heidi something something quinn from dexter <laughs> quinn from dexter. and the dark knight rises this summer's premier psychological horror film, The Neon Demon. You'll never sleep again. I like that you went with the 80s announcer because this I feel like every trailer for this movie was like no words, just techno. Just image. Image and like EDM, like boom, 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 boom. From the director of Drive. Comes a new kind of demon. So the Neon Demon, um uh 
I had never seen this movie before. We started watching it last night. I had to stop watching because I had to go watch Better Call Saul because it's the season finale next week and I, I got to I gotta watch it. So we, we watched half of it last night and then we finished it tonight. Liam has seen this before. I sure have. Uh, we finished it. The last... See, I keep... At first it was like, man, if this movie was as good as the last 10 minutes, I would... If the rest of the movie was as good as the last 10 minutes, I would love it. And then it was... This movie's five minutes at the end was so great. I'm bringing it down to three minutes now. <laughs> the th- last three minutes of this movie were so good. Like, I don't know if you saw, but I went from like watching it like, oh, God damn it. Okay, Jenna Malone, we get it. You're in a bathtub of blood and fucking unearthly beautiful woman in the shower just rubbing up in each other to being on the edge of my seat with my jaw agape. Like, it was just so Neon Demon. So basically... Um the End Demon is a film in which Elle Fanning is a young girl from... How young is she? She is 16. She is barely 16. She's from the boonies, and mm-hmm. she's come to L.A. to make it as a model. And she forms a series of relationships that are unclear and dangerous. Uh, people who seem to want things from her. And she starts the movie as this very innocent... Um, unsure of herself unsure of her own sort of uh, beauty and slowly she gains success just by being beautiful and has this sort of epiphany moment in which she kind of accepts that she is this person that she is uh just naturally beautiful and she kind of owns it and then um the only friend that she's made uh, as as people continue to want things from her, some of those things are understandable and some of those things are dangerous and people try to attack her and hurt her and she retreats to her only friend who also wants something yes. from her. That and when was... it becomes clear she's not going to get what she wants, um, the these three women who are friends, Jenna and these other two models, they've all sort of in some way been frustrated by uh, by Elle Fanning's character. One um, sort of denied an opportunity for a job. The other sort of shown up publicly. And then finally Jenna, when she wants to sort of possess her and possess her innocence or possess her. Physically. She wants to take, she, she wants to be here first. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, um, then all of a sudden uh, she's also been denied. They decide to, and this is spoilers, so this is how it is, they murder her and eat her. <laughs> and then they each experience three different results uh jenna and i believe the character's name is heidi uh they they turn out okay jenna is as far as i'm concerned she's been a witch this whole time yes clearly a witch i'm not i'm not convinced that these aren't the three sisters from the dario argento films i mean there's definitely there's definitely a witch aspect of the movie there's there's this whole coven thing going on there's a lot going on there with femininity and witchdom it seems like but also you know in jenna's character the full moon is out and in the moonlight she menstruates everywhere and has this like sort of look of power in her face and i just feel like she's also covered in strange tattoos yeah, those might just be Jenna Maloney's tattoos. I'm okay her. with that. I like it Jenna Maloney. I think she's a very beautiful woman. Yeah, and then the uh, then the, we have the two blonde girls. Well, the one young lady, she gets her mojo back. Whatever it is she lost and uh, and that uh, Elle Fanning sort of represented the new thing, yes. she gets it back. Oh, my God. She... And then the other young lady, though, 
bad things happen to her. And I, I suspect it's because she's gone through so much plastic surgery and she can't handle this like Interesting. natural yes. beauty. Yes, I didn't so even think of that. She ingests Would you go as far as saying she is an unworthy vessel? I think so, yes. Yes. I think that's what's going on is that she's she's forcing it. You know, uh uh the other model, she just ages out. She she was L and now she's not. This model, there's so there's these two blonde models that are also friends of Jenna Maloney's character, and one of them is just sort of getting older. Yeah. And the other one refuses to get older. She's gone through a series of surgeries and whatever. Um so yeah, and that's that's sort of the whole movie. There's not uh, a huge amount of plot other than that. There's also this element of the people around Elle Fanning and what they want from her. So you got her boyfriend. Her boyfriend is like the normal guy, right? He's like the normalcy, only he's also a hypocrite because he's too old for her. Yes. So he acts like everyone else is freaks and he's normal. And I'm like, you're not normal. You know she's 16 and you still want to be with her. How old is this guy? This guy's like old enough. Yeah, he's an adult. He's old enough to party, as they yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then you have the Keanu Reeves character, who is basically the dirty version of the boyfriend. Uh, the boyfriend exists to be like, this is the normal life you could choose. Keanu Reeves' character is like the dark side of all the boyfriends. Keanu Reeves is the pedophilic, sort of grabby, gross, whatever. Um He's and, like the mirror of Keanu Reeves in real life. Yeah. Oh my god. Keanu Reeves is a good guy in real life. Yeah, I know, but that's just that was just funny. And then of course the three women they want something from her, but that's sort of not always clear at first. They're more just sort of angry, it seems. But you know, Christina Hendricks wants something from her. The various photographers, Quinn from Dexter, wants something from her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, the fashion designer wants something. Who from you her. vowed to grow a mustache based upon his? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, so. Every other character sort of is an offshoot of her and what they want from her. And she sort of comes to accept this to some extent, not realizing the danger. And, and I think that that sort of represents, at least for Refin, the, the way it is for beautiful people. That, yes, they get what they want. Yes, they're venerated. Yes, 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 yes. All I, this, as a beautiful all person, things. I can speak that this, this is truly a struggle that I... But people also want something from them because they're so beautiful. Yes. They want to own them, to possess them, to control them, to take something from them, to profit from them, to simply be near them. And that also brings with it certain dangers as well. And I think that is in some ways what the movie gets at um, in both subtle and obviously not in any way even close to subtle ways. Yeah. Um, so talk about you. So... I won't say as much because here's the thing: we talked about this movie on Cinepunks, yeah, this, which we, we I realized, completely forgot. This was the first. This up. is the first movie that Cinepunks and The Biz have both done an episode on. Um, I wasn't crazy about this movie. Uh, maybe I'm. I'm willing to admit that it's maybe because I was. I missed something. I'm. I'm okay with that. Sure. Um, I, I'll say. I mean, I didn't. I didn't hate it. Visually, I thought it was amazing. Um, it out Argento's Argento. Uh, There's definitely an influence from yes. Suspiria. For I mean, sure. it was like some of some of the sequences were that were very visually striking, which I can appreciate. Um, the performances were fine, um, but it just felt a little too like sometimes like when the director or when the, he's like the fashion guy when the women are auditioning, he's looking at his like napkin. And she's like, should I go again? He's like, no. And he didn't even look at her. But then when, when, 
when Jesse shows up and he just like he's like, oh my god, what's this? It was like I get it. Like you, you're not moved by anything, but suddenly you're fucking moved by her. It was just a little much. Um, and then uh, there was the scene where we hear Keanu Reeves brutally raping someone. Oh, that might not be Keanu Reeves. So, well, okay, okay, a 14 year old girl is getting raped in the next room. Also, unclear that it's her. A but woman I, is getting raped in the next room. Can we just can we just accept? She's, she's getting attacked. She's somehow. getting attacked somehow. She's getting yeah. brutalized. I ju- I just felt that that was like, how can we drive Jesse into the arms of Jenna Malone's character? Have someone get fucking raped next door? I don't know. I just wasn't cool with that. All right. It just it made it made me it made me feel it made me feel gross in a way that I wasn't comfortable with. Um, and then. Jenna Malone advancing on Elle Fanning. Um, I've come to peace with that in the fucking hour it's been since I've seen it. Because it kind of, I mean, it was like, it it, it made me uncomfortable when I was watching it um, because it was very realistic. But at the same time, like, um, I accept, I, I like that rejection of, uh, of, of, that rejection was necessary to show what Jenna Malone's intentions were, if that makes sure. any sense. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, it was like, I know I'm, I'm going to bring up Mulholland Drive again in this episode. It was sort of like the uh, Naomi Watts and um, Laura Herring love scene in Mulholland Drive. It was like the opposite of that. Like, you watch Mulholland Drive, you're like, they're going to do stuff. Why wouldn't they? It's Los Angeles. That's what they do. In this one, they have all the classic setups of like a lesbian encounter, like a steamy lesbian encounter. And then it just comes to this grinding halt when Elle Fanning's like, no, don't fucking touch me. I don't want that. And then you realize that Jenna Malone is this weird, possessive maniac when she's like, I want to be the fir- I want to be your first. And that's what it's all about. It's about being the right. first right. to know this beautiful thing. Right. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm, I, I can, I can deal with that as, as, as an, as an element to advance the story and reveal her true intentions. Well, and I think it also sort of points at something that's going on with, uh, Elle Fanning's character, which I think is revealed in the, she's a dream where um, Keanu inserts this knife into her mouth. Oh my god, I forgot about that. And I think that is supposed to represent sex for her, for her, for Jesse's character. Okay, she's afraid. She's terribly frightened by what it might mean. And I think the idea that Jenna Malone could at some Malone I keep saying Malone or Maloney I don't know which we'll one go is. with Maloney because it sounds like a 1980s cop name I think Jenna Maloney could at some point have seduced her if she had played it as a rational human and been like oh you've never had before okay well whenever, you. whenever you're ready let's have but instead it's revealed that that's what that's what she's drawn to. It's not just that she's beautiful. She's drawn to the innocence. She's, she's drawn she, to the virginity. She, like she's that's not what a, she wants. She's not attracted to Elle Fanning's character as a human being and as a person. It's not born out of desire to know her and become intimate with her. Right. It's a desire to possess her and 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 fucking corrupt her. She's uncorrupted. I want to be the first. But like, what I think is revealed in that scene is this idea that like um, Jesse doesn't reject her because she's not attracted to her per se she never says if she's attracted to men or to women it, it's like irrelevant to her she just doesn't want that right now you yeah know? I, and to some extent i think that 
it's tied to this idea that we have she kind of has become in the movie this representation of one thing that we think of with women that they're these um that they can represent this sort of beautiful virginal whatever you know what i mean like her actual sexuality doesn't really matter in the film in a sense because it's like nobody wants that her as a person they just want what they think she represents yes and and i think that that scene is really revealing of that and the idea then that they want to consume her is maybe a little too on the nose for people but it really worked for me i think it worked revealing that they wanted to consume her because if you're gonna be on the nose about something be on the nose about something. Go at it. Literally, cons- like like she is a product to be consumed. She is something you'd look at. She is she is an object to be consumed. And then you're gonna fucking eat her. <laughs> like yeah. That's that's why I, I think that's why I was okay with the end of that movie because it was like the whole movie they spent it being they they spent they spent it being like oh it's you know she's this object that they all want and then it's like. Oh, also, they, they they chopped her up and ate her. I'm like, right. oh, okay, I'm I'm on board with this. Well, and it worked for me too because I, I, as soon as I saw them together as these like three women, I inevitably thought of witches, and yeah. I thought, well, I know this is supposed to be a horror movie. I mean, I guess if you went into this movie not having any idea of what it might represent, you might be like, whoa, this is a sudden and dramatic turn. I kind of knew. I mean, I don't know. I I, I suspected. That it was, it was. I mean, I actually think that I watched the trailer once, and then you guys did the episode on it, and then yeah. I listened. I was like, okay, cool. This has like horror, horror elements. I'm on board. Um, I want to talk about real quick just uh, the end scene where the girl vomits an eyeball while she her friend know. watches. Um, her friend did not look like a human being. Nope. She looked like an insect. Yeah. And. The scene, there's a shot, I, oh my God, there's a shot in the movie where the camera pans down to the eyeball and it's supposed to be this girl's point of view as the eyeball and you see her hand come into view. That was one of the scariest things I've ever seen. That was so unsettling. It was like a nightmare. Like it had that same gauzy sense to it of like, it wasn't monstrous, but it was just off enough to be unsettling if that makes any sense yeah totally like like the camera was lingering on her face for just a moment too long and she had the sunglasses that were making her eyes look inhuman right um and i don't know if that was intent i hope it was intentional um but i think that was the scene that drove home this one's transformation from something beautiful to now something still beautiful because she's a very beautiful woman but there was something that was like um, in the words of the great American poet Dave Mustaine, we saw the skull beneath the skin. Sure. <laughs> sure. I just, I really liked the last 30 seconds of that movie. Oh my God. I, 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 I like the movie overall. I think it's, I think it's complicated because um, I think it has hints in it of, it, 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 you have to do work when watching it to decide whether the film falls into like misogyny or not. Yes, absolutely. I think it tries, I think it doesn't because the idea is that even as these women, even the, even the women who eat her, they are responding to a masculine world. So like Refn sets him up a, himself up a problem. 
he is still operating in patriarchy and he's actually showing you patriarchy on purpose but he specifically writes all the male characters so that they don't matter yeah like his whole point of the male characters is that they are only uh they're only story devices so he wanted all the women to be you know multi-dimensional in some way or have something more to them and all the men to just exist for no reason other than to serve a purpose in the story yeah like that was his goal and i think he he does it it's not that i'm critiquing him that he doesn't do it but i don't know that it works super well because then um what he wants to say which is that even though these women are kind of at each other's throats a little bit in the film it's because of the world that they live in that they didn't create this world they're just no, responding no, 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 to yeah, it yeah and i think that that works it's just hard when all the men are such light characters that if it wasn't for the fashion designer i don't think we would get there i think the fashion designer with his very sexist tirade really helps Worst. to get at the point of the movie Look, but without him phrase vince lombardo like but without him it doesn't really the, it doesn't really work i don't think no so. not at all because the only other male characters are keanu reeves character yeah and then like the boy the spineless stupid boyfriend and then the photographer the, who doesn't say anything who i don't know what he, i mean does he like because he's kind of like he does the whole thing where he sets it up like oh it's close set everyone get out and he's alone with her and you're like does he like take advantage of her? Does he? No, I think he's just that intense, but it's still objectifying. Like ever, like the assumption that we make is like, oh, he's going to try to have sex with her, but like he doesn't have to have sex with her to take advantage of her. I also think that speaks of us as people, and I'm being serious about this. That we automatically went to, he's going to try to have sex with her, right? Because that's what happens to beautiful young women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he still gets what he wants which is beautiful pictures yeah it covers in gold paint i think about that when i see a beautiful woman on the street sometimes i think like what would she look like dipped in gold (laughs) literally never thought that nor will i no i haven't either and i work with gold for a living so (laughs) anyways um so all that to say i think that uh i think the movie is trying to accomplish a lot of things that I, i don't know if it does i think he literally wants it to be his first like feminine movie like if you think about his movies they're all super masculine and this is his first attempt to make a feminine movie and i don't not not i think for i don't think it's let me be clear i don't think he's trying to make a feminist statement which is an entirely different thing um he's not trying to make a point i think he does make a point because um that's who he is but that wasn't the reason it exists the movie exists because he needed to make a movie and he was inspired by his wife who is beautiful and he thought he's a goofy looking fucker he's he's fine he's a goofy looking fucker and he was looking at his wife and he was thinking what must it be like to be beautiful like beautiful to the point where people want something from you because of how beautiful you are and that was sort of where he started and it's interesting when you read interviews like this is true of all of his movies. He just starts filming. He doesn't know what the movie is ahead of time, really. So, like, the there's a scene where Jenna Maloney uh, has Congress with a corpse. I completely forgot about that. Yes, go on. Let's talk about it. So, and the idea is that she's so sexually frustrated that things didn't work out with Jesse that this is her only release. And it sort of reveals her the darkness in her that yes. she would do this. Uh, that's one of the first seasons, scenes they filmed. 
And in the script, she's just supposed to kiss it. And he talks about how he was like, well, that's that doesn't work. He's like, spit, spit in her mouth, spit in the corpse's mouth. Okay, spit in the mouth. Okay, all right. That kind of why don't you why don't you touch the corpse a little bit? Like get get kind of into it. Know her as a man knows a woman, or a woman knows a woman. No, just said, hey, why don't you touch her a little bit? And then Jenna Jenna just went with it, and good actress. And then he just was like, oh, I've discovered what this movie is about and who this character is. Really? Yeah. I mean, before that, all he knew was, oh, she's a model. It's beauty. People want things from her. I don't really know where we're going after that. Like, that's how he makes movies. He, they, he figures them out as he goes. There was a script, but the script changed after he saw that scene. And he was like, oh, okay, this is where we're going. Because the movie didn't have a villain, really. And all the stuff that happens later, with the, that all came after this one scene. Like, all that was going to happen was Jenna Maloney was going to hit on uh uh jesse and then rose that's her character's name rose is going to hit on jesse ruby is her name ruby that's what it was ruby is going to hit on jesse it wasn't going to work out and then she kisses the dead person but as it gets more and more fucked up he's like oh no this is a whole nother level and i think that's i think that is to me kind of revealing in and of itself of like where the movie ends up because i think any movie that is focused on this and is creating a horror movie it inevitably ends with these witches because witches are basically i mean both in the realm of horror in the sense that like you have male power and witches represent female power and historically and then historically in reality yeah if it wasn't for patriarchal societies you wouldn't necessarily have the negative image we have of witches yeah i mean magical women in other cultures are like they're venerated venerated <laughs> yeah it's only in european cock societies where they're worried about their cocks that all of a sudden they're like we have to burn the old lady because she's threatening our cocks yeah so all that to say i think a lot of it makes a lot of sense i don't know that it's an entirely successful movie no but, but it, i think it, it it fits together there's a nightmare logic that i like visually it's unbelievable and i think most of it pretty much works but I, I do think there are some problems with it like it's not a perfect movie and it's not as good as some of his other films no it uh it, it's definitely worth watching if only for the visuals alone I, I really can't drive home just how gorgeous this movie is sure and i mean again i don't mean to sound like kind of a prick but like everyone in this movie looks amazing like every right. every character every i mean everyone just this it's full of beautiful people um so just watch it based on that alone. Um, it's a very erotically charged movie, and I kind of like that. But it's so not sexy. You know what I mean by that? Like, oh, you found it sexy? All I'm saying is this, and again, I'm, I, I know I have a tendency to say really outlandish shit. The scene where Jenna Maloney has Congress with a corpse I'm not saying it was hot. I'm just saying there was no fucking you, hear me out. You heard hear me it out. here first. Hear me out. Hear you me heard out. it here first, folks. Hear me out. Justin Lord admitted necrophilia. Hear me out. Hear me out. There is something powerful and very erotic about a desire that is so big you're willing to masturbate a corpse over it. You're, you've alienated our entire audience. I'm not saying I'm going to fuck a corpse. All I'm saying is that you're, I... In like a day, you're going to text me like, take out the part right now. No, fuck this stays corpse. in. I'm not talking about fucking a corpse. I'm talking about 
there, there, there's something about wanting someone so bad and being denied that that you're willing to do something as taboo and insane as spit in a corpse's mouth. There's just something that's super erotic yeah. about that that passion denied, like not just the, the 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 ache and the unfulfillment, and you're just like, what can I do to satisfy myself? I know I'll. By the way, the corpse is also freshly eviscerated. There's a fucking scar on its chest, too. Yeah. This isn't a beautiful corpse we're talking about. This is a woman who has been... There's the Y autopsy scar. Like, And there's just there's just something about it. Like, I need to get this out of me that I, I'll do whatever it takes. Like, mwah, it's just beautiful. Yeah, everything you're saying sounds like crazy person. Talk to me. Hey, whatever, man. Um, it's funny. I was going to say that the, uh, uh, there is an erotic undercurrent to the themes of the movie. Yes. I don't find anything about this movie sexy, even a little bit. Even the few people in No, no, no. It's not... I'm not saying it's sexy. I'm just saying, like, there's a difference between, like... Whatever. You were turned on. I wasn't turned on. I was not hard at all watching this movie. (laughs) Oh, Jesus I'm just saying, everything through this movie, there's a theme of, like... I mean, I typically detest the quote-unquote male gaze in movies, but what's the actor's real name? The Quinn from Dexter. What's that guy? I don't... We, he deserves more. I have no idea. Okay. Quinn from Dexter, the way he looks at these models, it, it doesn't... It, it, it doesn't repel me. I don't know. Liam's looking up. Yeah. On IMDb. Quinn from Dexter. Joseph Bottleby, who thought is Quinn and Dexter. Um... No, I mean, I just think that's interesting because it's not how I sort of think of the movie at all. I'm saying, okay. Okay. You're into the corpse. I'm not into corpse fucking. Desmond Harrington. That's his real name? Yeah. Oh, really? Cool. <laughs> Is his father Archibald Ellis Harrington, a, uh, the third lord of Wilkesbury? Not into corpse fucking. Uh, so, and then the, the two blonde actresses are Bella Heathcote and Abby Lee. Interesting. I'm surprised they don't have weird Nordic names like Score Tharlsbad. I mean, maybe. And Freya Norseman. Freya Norseman. You're a crazy person. Anyway, this movie had its negatives. It had its pluses. I don't feel any less having watched it. I don't feel like anything was taken away from me. But I don't really feel like I gained any insight into and, and into anything from watching this movie. I get why people hated it. Like it's it's not the kind of movie where when folks are like, "Oh, I fucking hated that movie," I'm I'm really bummed on it. Um, and I think a lot of people accuse it of being itself kind of vapid. Um, and, I, and I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I th- but I think that uh, if I'm measuring a movie both by how I was entertained by it and um, the skill I think that went into making it, this movie succeeds in those areas. Yes. Uh, but I, I could, I can understand that it's not what a lot of people wanted. No, I don't, I don't feel that it had any great and profound story to it. And I didn't feel there was no insight to anything I, I got from it, which is, I, I, I can say that from watching starry eyes, I felt that I did gain some kind of insight into something, but this movie, I just felt that it was, uh, almost nihilistic in an unpleasant way. 
Yeah, I don't. I, I I don't know. I'm torn on that. I don't know that it it, it is ni- nihilistic completely, but it's certainly not. Um, it's not filled with a lot of like uh, compassionate storytelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's. I mean, I I think Reffin is kind of cold as a filmmaker, and I think that really turns a lot of people off. Yeah, I could. Yeah. You know, but. I don't know. I liked it. I liked watching it again. It's cool. I think I got more out of it this time. But I, I, I liked I liked the, the closing credits. But it's not something I would watch over and over again. No, definitely not. And I would watch Drive. So that was Starry Eyes and the Neon Demon. Good episode. By the time you hear this, I I I will either be in Los Angeles myself, emerging from the ground, reborn as something more than a man, but less than a god, or I'll be back from Los Angeles and miserable because my trip's over. So who knows? I feel like the ball cap is not going to look that good on you. No, I actually feel that um, the more clothes on me, the better, too. So, uh, as always, thank you for listening. Um, you should go to cinepunks.com and check out some of our other podcasts. We recently did the first few episodes. Or, no, John did just one lump episode. Yeah, we, we the mandate. He, he put a bunch of them together, yeah. The Mandate. Um, Black Sun Dispatches, Got Me a Movie, and Cinepunks, and Lot Fast Philly. You should go check all those out. Um, we got some other stuff in the works. Won't talk about it, but we got stuff. Check us out. Support us on Patreon, if you wish. And as always, rate, review, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell all those motherfuckers. Tell everyone about us. Shove it down their fucking throat. Yes. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And as always, stay spoopy. Thank <laughs> you.